You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Next up on Destination Freedom. And as for the participation of Negroes in the Civil War, oh, they twanged banjos around the railroad stations, sang melodious spirituals, and believed that some Yankee would soon come along and give each one of them 40 acres of land and a mule. I shook my head in disbelief. But in the days that followed, read another of the books on another. And they were all grinding out a weird story. The Negroes were content in slavery, would have remained if it hadn't been for northern interferences. The Negroes were not cruelly treated, and it was a travesty upon nature to give them equality with the white people of the South. Welcome to Destination Freedom Black Radio Days podcast, a copyrighted program of No Credits Production, LLC. I'm producer-director Donnie L. Betts. In this episode, recorder of history, Carter G. Woodson. Carter G. Woodson was an American historian, author, journalist, and the founder of the Association of the Study of African American Life and History. He is one of the first scholars to study the history of the African diaspora, including African American history. A founder of the Journal of Negro History in 1916, Woodson has been called the father of black history. In February of 1926, he launched the celebration of Negro History Week, the precursor of Black History Month. Next on Destination Freedom, recorder of history, Carter G. Woodson. And now, Destination Freedom. been proclaimed by the mayor of the city of Chicago and other numerous cities and states throughout the country that whereas the second week in February 1950 will mark the 25th anniversary of the observance of Negro History Week in Chicago 
and whereas a profound influence has been exerted by the Negro on our country's culture, political, and economic growth, and these accomplishments reflect the independence of all races and creeds and the development of our democratic heritage, now I therefore, Martin H. Kennelly, mayor of the city of Chicago, do hereby proclaim the period from February 12th through the 19th, 1950, as Negro History Week in Chicago. And in keeping with the spirit of this proclamation, Destination Freedom Today brings you the story of the founder of Negro History Week, Dr. Carter G. Woodson, in a chapter titled Recorder of History. My name is Carter G. Woodson. I founded Negro History Week. I was constantly looking back like Lot's wife, only what I saw didn't turn me into salt. What I saw was history. The history of a fighting people, hidden and buried like a pirate's treasure. Hidden so deep I never dreamed that one day I would go out and search for it. For you see, in the year of 1892, when I, Carter G., the ninth child of James and Ann Woodson, helped gather in the crop of summer corn, all I could see in the past Virginia was the hard life of a slave, an ex-slave, my father. Carter! Carter? My father. Tall, thin, and with the marks of hard weather and harder work etched on his brown flesh, calling my attention to something way down the road. I say, lay out the baskets in front of the house. Mr. Macwill's coming. Where? All the family stopped working in the fields and squinted their eyes. The name McWill belonged to only one man in Virginia, the man who three decades before had owned his property another man, and who stood now free and tall beside his nine children, watching the speck of dust advancing down the road. Are you sure? You're sure that'll be him, Dad? Only him. Eldest brother Robert Henry asked, and my father answered, and they looked down at the bushels of corn and piles of tobacco leaves stretched out in front of the house. They'll pay him off, won't it, Dad? It's the best crop we've had here in seasons. It's enough, ain't it? It should be, Robert. Now, you children, I'll do the talking to him. Keep your mouths shut and your heads cool. All he owns is a mortgage on the farm, nothing else. The crops can cover the payment on that. That's all he'll need. It's not all he'll want. You know that, Jim. It's all he'll get. What's to stop him? My mother was asking the question, her eyes looking up the road. Father looked at Robert Henry and nodded toward the house. Robert Henry understood. Sure, Dad, sure. I'll sit inside with the rifle, just in case. The rest of you can go about your business. I'll tend to Mr. Macwill. Y'all going back in the field. Some of the oldest boys obeyed, moved slowly toward the field, but I stood stone still with a strange chill creeping into my bones. I saw the nose of my brother's rifle resting on the windowsill, and the wheels of a glistening buggy were turning off the road coming up to the house, a wagon with three men behind it. My eyes were on it. For inside that buggy rode a living link that my father had with the past, a sharp piece of history, a system of oppression known only to me by hearsay and night tales. I wanted to see the manner of man that had once held my father in slavery and now held lean over the land we lived on. And when the buggy came up, only a short, heavy-set man with a red beard got out. Well, well, Jim. I see you're ready for me. Crops all collected. Just as you see, Mr. Mackwell. Oh, corn. Corn, you, you don't expect to pay me off nothing but corn. 
Price has gone down, way down, Jim, I'm afraid. We raised quite a bit of top-grade tobacco this year. Those stacks there. Uh-huh, well, I don't Some know Some more stacks around the side of the house. All in all, it was a good year. Yeah, you think so? What do you think? Always did think you were a hard-working farmer, Jim. Well, I remember when you were the youngest slave on my plantation. By George, I got as much work out as you as I did anybody. Well, I remember when your first boy was six years old. You came up to the house, right up to the front door, asking if he could learn reading and writing. I said, what on earth a slave want reading and writing for when all he was going to do was be a slave anyhow? <laughs> you remember? Very well. And you were wrong, weren't you? Uh, well, some seem to think so. Scallywags and carpetbaggers. Quite a few slaves thought so, too. I never cared much about what slaves had in mind. Neither then, nor now. Well, if you'd like to know what I've got in mind now, you take your Jim, crops and- Jim, please, I- I'm sure Mr. McWill's in a uh, hurry to get back. Idle talk slows him up. I remember when your back talk would get you ten lashes, maybe twenty. Those days are dead. Those and days bear. will be back, believe me. Please. Step aside, girl. Let my men get over the crops and add up the total. Hey, you boys, jump down. Come on, weigh these crops. Three men with scales, weights, pencils, and paper, jumped down from the wagon and went about the business of counting and stacking the crops. In my mind was the wonder of what it all meant. Why had my father ever been enslaved? How he had been freed? What was the history behind the rise of an ex-master to a place where once again he was almost master and could claim all he could squeeze out of the land and pile it up on his wagon and say, It all totals up, Jim, to just two-thirds of what you owe. I always said you were a hard farming boy. And you came close. You got one third to go. I'll make it up. <laughs> if it's true. It. I'll give you a way to make it up easy. Well? You got six boys. More than you ever need to farm these acres. You take this boy here. You, you, what's your name? Carter. Uh, Carter, you jump up in the wagon and come over to my place and finish out the year. For what? For what you owe me. I don't hire out my son. You don't have any choice. Be thankful one's all I'm asking for. Do you get on up there, Carter? Stay where you are. Father, if it'll help, I don't mind going. You young fool, stay where you are. All right. You men, get the boy in the wagon. Go on, go on, get him up. In a second, I was lifted on the wagon by three men, while my father struggled with him until he was thrown aside, and then he called. Robert Henry! My brother answered twice. The bullets cut between us, tore out a spoke of the wagon wheel. Mr. McWill was not slow to realize that he was no longer master. We can't reach a sensible compromise in a sensible way. You let that boy go, Jared. You, you let him go. What's the meaning of those shots, Jim? They speak for themselves. I was the slave in the family. My sons remain free. Remember that. The man who had once been master looked long and hard at his former slave and around at me and at the set looks on the faces of the family. And almost as a speaking to himself. You're living in the past, Jim. Old man Lincoln's dead and in his grave. That is Stevens as much as dust. Every Yankee soldier's been pulled out of the South. Every nigger soldier's been disarmed. You're living in the past, old man. But I think some of the landowners around here gotten together a band of men who will bring you on up to date. Get in the wagon, boys. Let's go. They got on the wagon, and he into his buggy. And soon they were waking up the sleeping dust on the sunny Virginia road. And wide awake in my own mind were burning questions about the past, about old Abe Lincoln, crippled Thaddeus Stevens, about where the Negro soldiers had disappeared to, and about the age my father had lived that had seen him first a slave and then a free man, and now seeing a new birth of slavery. 
And when I asked him of these things and why he would rather see me, why he would rather die than see me work for the ex-master, well, he shook his head and said, Once, when I was in Washington, I heard old Frederick Douglass say, Work without a living wage is slavery. But, but isn't slavery done with? In name. But it's been called by a great many names. They'll call it by a great many more names. You and I and all of us had better wait and see what new form this old monster assumes and what new skin this old snake will come forth before we shout hallelujah. Before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave. In the short wait for the snake to strike, there was no time to shout hallelujah. The dark of one of the short summer nights hid the sight of men with hoods and robes creeping up to the back of my father's house. In the silence, they set a case of powder under the porch, strung a long fuse down the road, lit it, and left. The dark of that short summer night was ripped open. And the house that I lived in was turned into a blazing torch that lit up the skies and was seen for miles around by tenants and landlords, by ex-slaves and ex-masters, and by the nine members of the Woodson family gathered on the road watching as the blaze died down. When the only light was moonlight, my father called a family council. Hooker, listen carefully. Daylight will be here in a few hours, and we've got work to do. Mason and Mildred will go down the road to Pine Junction to tell your friends what happened. They'll come back with you. Erlene and Hooker, you'll go towards Richmond. Meet with the lumber people and see if they'll let us have enough lumber to start building. Huh? You're not going to build here again, Daddy. It's my land. What better place to build? But some place where we can be safe. We'll make this place safer. They'll kill us. Quiet. Quiet. Carter, because you are so young, I'll forgive your fear. We stay on the land because it's our home. Because I mean to die defending it. Old Nat Turner once said, it's better to die on your feet than live on your knees. Harriet Tubman said, there are two things I've got a right to, and these are death or liberty. One or the other I mean to have. If we quit now, we'd be traitors against the fight my fathers made for freedom when even the word was whispered. That's right. All right. He went on detailing his plans, and daylight found him ready to defy the terror that had stalked him at night. But for me, he had other plans. Carter, you and Robert Henry come over here. Yes. What is it, Dad? If we get help from the neighbors, the family will have enough hands to get started again. Yes. That means you and Carter can strike out on your own if you want to. Why? Because... The things you boys are so thirsty for won't be around here for a long time, I'm afraid. Carter's curious, always wanting to know about the past and trying to look into the future. He's a walking question mark, and the only thing that'll satisfy him is education. Here, you don't have a chance. Out on the road, making your own way, there's a slim chance. You've got all your own on your back. Here's a dollar each. Roads long and lonesome. Take to it. With a dollar in my overall pockets, I looked toward the pile of embers that had been my home for 19 years. 
then looked down the long dusty road that led away and followed it through villages and over hills while the dynamic questions of my life haunted me. Why was I homeless in a land of beautiful homes? Why was I uneducated in a land of compulsory education? Ragged in a country of fine clothes, jobless where workers were wanted, unfree where all were created free and equal. Who was I? Where did I come from? Where was I going? I followed the long road and it took me into a camp of railroad workers. I watched the men's heavy hammers driving spikes through the hearts of the ties until the gang foreman answered one of my questions. Hey, fellow, you out of work? Uh, yes, sir. Can you swing a hammer? Ten pounds? <laughs> sure. Hey, 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 get out. Mm hmm. Let me have that extra ham over here. Yeah, this is this one you mean here, Chief? It'll do. Grab mm -hmm. it, kid. Swing at that spike there. <sighs> See? I can swing it all right. Yeah, one blow don't tell the tale. Can you swing it from beginning of the day till the end? That's the question. Well, what time is the beginning? 7 a.m. No loafing. Well, what time is the end? 7 p.m. and you're on your own. Dollar fifty a day. Oh. Well, is that going to interfere with your leisure plans? Uh, I, I did want to register for school after work. You serious? Look, we're laying down rails too fast for you to light out some school more in one day. Well, it's provided we work near a school that'll take Negroes. Well, well I, I guess I'll go on then. Wait now. Look, I like the way you swing that hammer, and I need a good hammer. I'll tell you what I'll do. Yeah? Well, I've taught school some, and I'll, I'll teach you the fundamentals between work hours if you'll stick on well, well, now, come on, what can you lose? Give me the hammer. All right. On the Virginia road, I became married to the steel-driving hammer. And in the evenings, when I divorced it for a few hours of sleep, sinews seemed torn apart and my muscles quivered involuntarily. Hey! Hey, car! Leave me alone, please. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Somehow I thought you'd want to want to bother them books after session with a hammer. You go ahead and sleep, kid. Go ahead. Well, John Henry said you can't be man. ain't nothing, ain't nothing but a man. I slept. But when I woke, I saw the long, wide camp of railroad workers stretching and flexing their muscles for the steel and ties and heard the calls for th of the train, saw the warm, strong faces of the working men from all corners of the South. I yearned to peer into their past and to understand their future. And finally came a time when I was able to keep my eyes open after work long enough to hear the foreman. All right. Now we'll start here with the alphabet. This is an A. This is B. This is a C. Hey, you sleepy? No, no, go on. All right. This is D. E, F, G, H, I. In the morning, I hammered home the lessons I'd gotten at night. And when two years had rolled by and we had laid 400 miles of track, I had the fundamentals of writing and reading. I was still thirsty, and at the end of the job, the foreman admitted he couldn't fill my cup any longer. Well, you've milked me dry, Uncle Carter. <laughs> I hate to lose a good hammerman, but if you want to be a better student, get into some high school and a, a college from there. Uh, yeah? Well, from there you can answer some of the questions you asked me about the slave trade and what it meant and the Negroes did in the Revolutionary War, what the Civil War did, all those things. Well, you don't know anything about that? Well, hearsay and folklore, the way the ex-slaves tell things were a whole lot different from 
the way they're written down in some of them books. Well, why should that be? Uh, I don't know. Well, is it the truth? Look, I don't know. I never had time to find out. I knew I would have time to find out. Even when I walked 70 miles to get my next job in the Virginia coal fields, I found time to stop at the little high school of the mining town to inquire about my favorite subject. Well, we do teach a bit of history. I handle the classes myself, but... What is it? You look mighty big and grown to be just coming into high school. Well, I had to start late. I've been trying to catch up. Is it all right? Well, I suppose it is. You ever worked in the coal mines before? No. Maybe you better go on over there first, and after you dug coal a while, then make up your mind about sitting all evening in a school chair. I went over to the mining chief, and he looked up and down at my ragged body and asked, How old are you? Twenty-two. Ripe, ripe. <laughs> all right. You'll work the number two shift. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Hey, where are you going? I'm going looking for a room. Time for that when you come up. Number two shift's going down in the mine now. Get initiated. Go down now. I went down into the mine shaft and stabbed the anthracite walls and the gloomy tunnels with picks, loaded the coal in cars, spent my days in the dark cabins for six years as I inched along above ground in the evening classes, forcing my eyes to keep open when my lids felt like lead. Became fascinated with the wide range of knowledge uh, opening up before me and pushed on to make up for lost time until one evening new history textbooks came into the school and they were passed out in my class. Now you turn to the chapter on the Civil War and Reconstruction and read from page 18 to 26. All right, Carter Woodson, Hmm? will you begin reading? Stand up, please. I stood up, still looking for the pages. A thrill caught my blood as I remembered my own father's struggle to free himself, of the relatives I had who died in revolts, and of the stories of the freedmen who fought for the Union Army. And I thank God I had driven myself to reach a day when I could read of their deeds. But my eyes fell across the pages, and the words were twisted into another kind of story. The Civil War was a regrettable mistake. On the vast majority of southern plantations, the slaves were happy, carefree, and treated with great consideration. They did not care for the freedom forced on them by designing abolitionists. Most of the Negroes who grew up as slaves were content with their lot, being well-educated and having no fear of poverty. And as for the participation of Negroes in the Civil War, oh, they twanged banjos round the railroad stations, sang melodious spirituals, and believed that some Yankee would soon come along and give each one of them 40 acres of land and a mule. I shook my head in disbelief. But in the days that followed, read another of the books and another, and they were all grinding out a weird story. The American Negroes are the only people in the history of the world that became free without any effort of their own. The Negroes were content in slavery, would have remained if it hadn't been for northern interferences. The Negroes were not cruelly treated and it was a travesty upon nature to give them equality with the white people of the South. Book after book spoke out to condone the slave system and to berate its victim. Over and over in the coal pits at night, I would ask myself, was this history? Why was the truth as I had known it, my father had known it, twisted and changed? One evening when I left the mines and was walking home, someone tried to answer me. Mr. Woodson? It was the principal. Mr. Woodson? I had avoided her class for weeks. Ma'am, I'm I'm sorry. I I missed class, but but since I finished the course, I thought... You thought you'd stop. Well, I I finished... You didn't finish. You quit. Well... I've gone through those history books. I understand why you left. I couldn't never understand the books. Why do they lie? Because in this state, they don't dare print the truth about the Negroes' role in American history. 
If they did in one generation, school children would grow up hating segregation and race discrimination, and those who profit by prejudice would have the ground shaken under them like an earthquake. Mm, I see. Then, when will you stop teaching your children from books that distort the truth? When someone writes better books. This gray-haired teacher in a Virginia mining town said that, and I forgot the weariness that was always with me. And all I remembered was the sight of my father fighting to hold his land and sending his youngest son out to better the world and the teacher's words. When someone writes better books. Led me to leave the coal field and go north to school to learn to write a better book. I studied at the University of Chicago and Pittsburgh, Paris and the Philippines. And at Harvard, I met a genius of history who had studied the Negro people all his life. Come into my office, Dr. Woodson. Please, have a seat. He was Dr. Franz Boaz, the anthropologist. I'm glad someone has begun the study of Negro history. Without the true knowledge of that history, American history cannot be fully understood. I have here some documents collected while I studied in Africa. It proves, beyond a doubt, that the people who were uprooted from that continent and brought to America in slavery had once built civilizations that outrank those of Europe and Asia. Hmm. We've adopted their concepts of trial by jury, their invention of music by stringed instruments, and their discovery of the use of iron, upon which our science and invention have remade the world. You are right in giving your life to this study. I think no other generation should be allowed to continue ignorant of these facts. And I pushed my studies further until one day in Chicago in 1915, I joined with a dozen men and women who saw that the contributions of the Negro people to American life had been overlooked, ignored, and suppressed in history and textbooks, and who with me formed the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History to bring these facts before the public. And into the Washington office of the association came a man from one of the world's largest endowment foundations. Uh, <clears throat> uh, just what kind of facts do you intend in putting in before the people, Dr. Woodson? We know research foundations such as yours need to be subsidized. Uh, my foundation sent me here to examine your program. And what do you think of it? Well, if it doesn't go off in the wrong direction, uh, we think it's fine. In fact, we're prepared to grant you $25,000 to continue your research. Well, thank you, Mr. Stokes. Um, uh, one minute, Mr. Woodson. Yeah. You're writing a book on West Africa, is that true? Yeah, I'm leaving for Africa next week to study. Mm, yes, we thought so. You see, our foundation wanted, you to, spare, wanted to spare you the trip. Mm, why so? Well, only because our own investigators have already been to that part of Africa, and mm. uh, we've gotten all the facts we need, thank you. <laughs> um, but I haven't gotten all the facts I need, and you see... I see, yes. You're determined to write this book on West Africa. Mm, certainly. Yes, well... Suppose it's all right, but um, Dr. Woodson, remember, oh, yes. many of our contributors to our foundation own some of the uh, mines in that part of Africa, and we'd prefer that you overlook those in your report. I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, we will grant you the $25,000, and I'm sure you will understand. I understood that there were vested interests who had much in Africa to hide after... I'd spent years studying the life and customs of the peoples and reporting in books on the monopolies and empires that were squeezing the Africans into colonial slums. I came home to my association 
My benefactor visited me. Uh, we've just read your book on the current history of West Africa, Dr. Woodson. What do you think of it? Uh, we think it's a deliberate attempt to incite the natives to rebellion <laughs> against the holders of our company. Oh, I'm sorry you think that, so, but, but yes, the fact... Yes, yes, I'm sorry too. Uh, the Foundation is here with cancelling all grants for research to your association, and hereafter you will find your facts without biting the hand that feeds you. But the hands that fed my foundation for the study of Negro history continued to be bitten whenever they reached for fiction instead of the truth. And while the donation slowed down, the facts of Negro life in America, uncovered by scientific investigation, by digging and probing, sifting and weighing, continued to grow. And still, some of the contributors to the association continued to be disturbed, as was my last heavy contributor, a gentleman from a state where nearly half the population was Negro, Yet their deeds and history had not been in a single textbook. Good evening, good evening, Dr. Woodson. Good evening, Senator. Having much time, and this matter can be cleared up very shortly. Yes. As you know, because of my sincere love of the Negro race, I've been a steady contributor to your association. Out of all the sweet memories of the colored folks who served my family through silver right down into today. Go on, Senator. Uh, for that reason, I want to question this so-called fact about my state you've been printing in your journal. I like this claim that our educational system was set up by Negroes during Reconstruction, that half of the state's wealth been produced by Negroes. Now, Dr. Woodson, just what is behind those claims you keep digging up? Mm -hmm. Just the attempt, Senator, to lift the truth about the Negro people above the level of fantasy, mythology, wish fulfillment, and bigotry, and into the realm of fact. Now, we're publishing another bulletin about your state, I mean, if you care to take it with you. Oh, no, I, I think I already know enough. A doctor, if you don't have enough on hand to pay for these bulletins, you better cancel them. I'm canceling my donations to this association. And slowly, the rich donators who had peeked into the life of the Negro people out of curiosity, seeking novelty instead of knowledge, dwindled when the iron facts were uncovered. And after bleak years when no funds came in to help the association remain alive, I went down to the office to close it and disband it. But I found a letter in the mailbox. Dear doctor, perhaps you've forgotten the teacher who taught you history in this coal mining town, but you didn't forget to write the better book. I've used your books in my classrooms and they have produced an amazing understanding and sense of fellowship between Negro and white students. Because of this, I am sending you all I can afford. My check for $2,000. Good luck. May you continue to bring forth better books on Negro history. It kept the association going and gave me a new idea. And heretofore I had been depending for the bulk of the money upon the great foundations. It now seemed time to give the little people a chance to have a part in our project. And it worked. And we found the money through many small donations and we brought forth more books and more facts. And soon, students throughout America demanded that there be a week within the year set aside to stimulate the study of Negro history. So we called it Negro History Week. And historian Herbert Apthaker declared, The desire for freedom is the central theme, the motivating force in the history of the American Negro people. The wholly erroneous conception of life in the Old South, which is still dominant in our movies, novels, and textbooks, was invented by the slaveholders themselves. They and their spiritual and even lineal descendants have written a history of the American Negro slavery. But the facts contradict these fables. For 200 years, the American Negro people waged a persistent struggle against the system of slavery. For sheer courage and ingenuity, this conflict has never been surpassed in all the vast history of mankind. Yes, I am the founder of Negro History Week, 
I'm the historian who looked back to uncover the treasure of Negro life so that America's goal of equality and justice today may be strengthened by the knowledge of their struggle for freedom in the past. You've just heard Destination Freedom's dramatization of Recorder of History, the story of Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Destination Freedom is written by Richard Durham and is produced under the direction of Danielle Betts. The cast for tonight's program included Greg Ward, Jan Van Sickle, Jeffrey W. Nicholson, Kurt Soderstrom, Ruth A., Vincent Hardy, with special guest Keith L. Hatton as Dr. Carter G. Woodson. The singer of our theme was Claire Frances Peterson. Musical direction by Jan Van Sickle with musical guest Otis Taylor. Sound effects by Gabrielle. Engineers for Recorder of History were Little Darren Gabbard and Greg Benson. I'm Rodney Franks. Now, our producer, Danielle Betts, with Dr. C.J. White. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Destination Freedom. It's an honor to have in our studio tonight um, Dr. C.J. White, who is the uh, chair of the Department of African American Studies at Metropolitan State College. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that right? Uh, yes, chair of the African American Studies Department at Metro State. I went blank for a minute. I was going to say another college. Oh, <laughs> when I checked last, I was still at okay. Metro State. Okay, all right. <laughs> Thank you for being our guest tonight. And uh, tonight's subject was Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Um, tell us a little bit about Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Thanks so much, Donnie, for inviting me to uh, be a part of this program tonight. Uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Uh, Dr. Carter G. Woodson is referred to as the father of uh, Black History Month. And I think it's important for us to remember that at no point did Dr. Carter G. Woodson uh, state that the celebration of black history and culture would be limited to the month of February, in the month of February alone. Right. Carter G. Woodson felt that during the month of February, we should pause and celebrate. But he was a firm believer that an acknowledgement of the role and contributions of blacks to the American and the world society should be ongoing as opposed to being limited to just one month out of, out of the year, the month of February. Now, that was a particular reason why he chose the month of February in the first place. Now, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, they thought maybe because we sometimes African-Americans say, well, it's the shortest month. Maybe that's why, you know, we got this month. But that's not the real reason at all, is it? No, that's a very, very timely uh, question, Don. In fact, in one of my introduction to African-American studies classes at Metro State, a student raised the question. The student wanted to know, so well, Doc, I guess they gave us the month of February because it was the shortest month of the year. So it gave me the opportunity to clear up the myth, to clear up the misconception. Uh, no one gave uh, the black community or Carter G. Woodson uh, the month of February. Carter G. Woodson selected the month of February to pause and to highlight the contributions of blacks. And as you indicated, we can point to a very, very profound reason why he selected the month of February. He selected the month of February to coincide with the birthday of two outstanding uh, black Americans. Uh, the birthday of uh, the outstanding abolitionist, well, I know one was Langston Hughes. Uh, uh, right, okay. right. Mm -hmm. The writer of the Harlem Renaissance, the outstanding writer of the Harlem Renaissance, uh, 
Langston Hughes, and, then also and William Frederick Lord Garrison, right, and Frederick Douglass, yes, the outstanding mm-hmm. abolitionist. Yes. So he selected the month of February to honor and to commemorate outstanding personalities, personalities that had a- that had added much to. Uh, the American and the world experience. Now, he also was a great intellect. He uh, founded several um, uh, centers for thinking, African-American thinking. And uh, I know you've been involved with the Carter G. Woodson Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about what they do today? Okay, yes, Carter G. Woodson, a scholar. And uh, as indicated, he established Negro History Month in 1926. Uh, but we must remember, in addition to uh, being the founder of this month, Carter G. Wilson was involved in many, many uh, other uh, academic and scholarly activities. In 1915, he founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. Wow. And uh, this was prior to the official designation of Black History Month. And the Association for the Study of Black Life and History, an organization composed of professionals in the social sciences, those with a commitment to studying black life and history in the process of eradicating the many myths and misconceptions that characterize the black experience for so long. Now, that organization is still in operation today. And as you indicated, yes, I am uh, a member of the Association for the Study of Black Life and History. Uh, the organization, uh, there's an annual meeting held once per year, and it's open to the public, professionals and lay people alike. Okay, beautiful. Um, people ask us, um, why even have a celebration of African American history? Okay, why a celebration of uh, black history? I think it's important for a number of reasons, and I will be brief. Uh, Through a celebration of black history and culture, we can add the missing pages, the missing pages to the American and the world experience. For such a long period of time, uh, for an example, for the textbook, we moved in one of two directions. Uh, No discussion of the black experience, complete omission, or in the event of a discussion, uh, a distortion. We had myths and stereotypes being underscored. So through a celebration of black history, we can correct, we can add the missing pages. And most of all, uh, Black History Month, uh, uh, we, had, we owe it to the American people to provide, to present the truth, and to the young people in particular. We owe that to them. We owe that to the young. Perfect place to end. That concludes this episode of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days. I'm producer-director, Danielle Betts. Support for Destination Freedom is provided by the Bon P. Stanford Foundation, the Olympians Fund of the Denver Foundation, Arts and Society, and Karen and Johnny Klein. Destination Freedom Black Radio Days is produced by Danielle Betts. The series is remixed by Maurice Smith, a.k.a. Reese. Make sure you check us out at NoCredits.com and pick up our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Radio Public, Spotify, etc. 
Follow us at Twitter at Donnie Betts, hashtag No Credits Production LLC, hashtag Black Radio Days, hashtag Destination Freedom Black Radio Days. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.